0: Hi everybody! Welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio for today. I'm your host, Albert Hardy. I want to finish up this pre-trib rapture case, and uh, I got a five-page response to a four-page, uh, well, following a four-page um, diatribe or something like that, a, a letter that he sent me. This this chaplain. And um, I need to finish this. He says, So now we come to a familiar description of the blessed hope, the rapture of the church, into the clouds as the bride of Christ. Now, let me just make a comment here. I don't understand why that would be the blessed hope, the big blessed hope. When... It's really in the resurrection from the dead and our redemption, given new bodies, if you will. Why wouldn't that be the blessed hope? Then he cites First Thessalonians four sixteen through eighteen, and by the way, later in the uh, this podcast, I want to talk about Isaiah eleven and what it means to you and me. It's the most one of the most exciting chapters in the entire Bible. But we'll get to that. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 18 says this. Actually, I want to start in 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns Uh uh-huh, he's returning, this is when the Lord returns and this is the people that are still alive, will not need to meet him ahead of those who have died. Why do they ignore that verse? And then verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, The Christians who have died will rise from their graves, then together with them, if we're still alive and remain on the earth, we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And then he, he follows that up with uh, these words, no mention of touching earth at the Mount of Olives as promised at the second coming. And then he goes and says, perhaps the greatest proof of a pre-trib rapture is found in the words of this familiar scripture, Matthew twenty four, twenty nine. And you've heard me talk about that if you've listened to this podcast very much. But what about verse 15? We tell you this directly from the Lord. That has significance. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. I mean, it's right there in black and white. And I'm reading from the NLT. We who are still living when the Lord returns. It's not talking about a pre trib rapture. It doesn't say that we who are still living when the rapture occurs or when we're snatched away. No, it says when the Lord returns, we will not meet him ahead of those who have already died. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Apostle Paul, all the saints of old, all the prophets, they've all died ahead of us. So what if it doesn't uh, mention Jesus touching the earth at uh, at the Mount of Olives? Big deal. (laughs) I don't see why that is, uh, you know, even relevant to this argument at all. But he cites Matthew twenty four twenty nine. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Then he comments, At that time, the church of believers who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit have already been caught up in a glorious snatching away, opening up the way for the coming of the Antichrist. Whoa, 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 whoa. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture, and he's saying it does. I don't like that. I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever. And he glosses over, you know, he's here accusing me of glossing over uh, the fact that uh, it doesn't mention Jesus' feet touching the Mount of Olives, indicating that it's not the second coming, he's, he's implying well, big deal. He ignores, he glosses over all the the uh, content, the heavy, heavy, heavy content in Matthew 24, through 30. Doesn't make a comment about that. Wow, I mean, this is so messed up. It's bad. And then he cites 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 through 8. And the only reason I'm going over this with you is to present my view and look it doesn't matter what I believe it's a matter of what's written in scripture excuse me in scripture. who cares what I believe It's not important what I believe what what we should trust in and believe in is what God believes and what he wrote down, or had it written for him in the pages of your Bible. That's what's important. That's where truth lies, not in what I believe. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 6 through 8. And you know what is holding him back. Now, who would that be? Uh, well, In uh, verse 3, don't be fooled by what people say, for the day will not come, that is, the day of the Lord, will not come unless there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. I wonder who would bring destruction on the earth. Hmm. Well... It's going to be um, Mohammed. It's going to be uh, Islam. Islam is going to nuke it out in the Middle East, in my view. It's very clear in Scripture by uh, Isaiah 34, Joel 2, Zechariah 14, um, Jeremiah 49, 50, and 51. It's just all over the place. The book of Revelation and Jesus himself, all of his words, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention it. Every single one of them. And it's all in the proper order. It's not out of order. But to go on. And don't be fooled by what they say. Verse 3. For that day will not come unless there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and worship or every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Woe! We're getting to verse 6. We're almost there now. We're at 5. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? In other words, in person. Verse 6, And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. Well, now we can see who this is, or at least um, a type of who it is, and it's Islam, it's Mohammed. And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. Their time is here, or at least beginning to be. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who's holding it, holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. He says the Spirit will probably return during the second half, half of the tribulation to work with those be converted. He must mean being converted. After the evil of the tribulation have come, evil days of the tribulation have come and gone, and Christ descends to the Mount of Olives as a warrior king accompanied by his bride. Okay, well, what's the point of that? It's an incomplete sentence. It is then, we'll go on that all the earth will experience the darkening of the sun and moon and the falling stars and powers of the heavens shaking, all, and all will see the Son of Man coming in power and glory. It is then that all the earth will experience the darkening of the sun and moon. And well, he goes on. Some denominations quote Second Thessalonians as... An argument for a post trib rapture, which is what I believe in. But, and again, it doesn't matter what I believe, it's a matter of what's in Scripture. But it actually proves the opposite, he said. Paul wrote this letter because, and I don't know how you'd know that, Paul wrote this letter because some uh, uh, people in the church were concerned that the day of the Lord and the rapture had already occurred and that they were left behind. Well, the letter was intended to show that the um, the rapture had yet to be uh, yet to occur. Read these verses, and then we will unpack them. Well, we just read this Second uh, Thessalonians two one through three. Um, verse one, he says, speaks of two events: the day of the Lord and the blessed hope. And again, the blessed hope is not in the rapture. It is in the resurrection. Huge difference. Huge. The blessed hope is not that we get snatched away from our responsibilities and troubles in this life. It is that we will be raised from the dead and meet with Jesus and be with him forever in his kingdom. It's not about going to heaven and you know resting the rest of our existence. No thanks. No, there's work to be done. Good solid work. So anyway, he says Peter is referring to false messages about the day of the Lord, which, according to verse 3, will only happen after the Antichrist is revealed. Well, he's being revealed right now, people. He's being revealed. Well, who might the Antichrist be? Who's more against Christ than Mohammed? Um, that'd be no one. And he says, Titus 2:13 reminds us that we are to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The tribulation period will be anything but a blessed hope to be watched for. But you see, the flaw in this is that they're expecting him to come and get them before Anything happens before World War III or the sun being darkened by the smoke, as it says in uh, Revelation 9, verse 2, says the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke. What smoke are you talking about? Well, just go to Isaiah 34 and read the whole chapter, and it'll tell you exactly. It says, "...the streets of Idumea," or Edom, "...shall run with burning pitch." And the, fire, the, um, the land will be covered with fire. Well, where there's fire, there's smoke. It's so simple. I mean, it's right there in black and white. Now, the Christians should have hope to the very end. This is the point I'm trying to make. The Christians should never give up hope until... Jesus does return and touch his feet down on the Mount of Olives with us along with him. We have a whole lot to look forward to thanks to him. He is a mighty king and a great prince. And then he says another post-tribulation rapture interpretation comes from reading this, Revelation 13:7. quote, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Well, yeah, I mean, is this a metaphor? I hardly think so. He goes and makes a comment here. This speaks of the second half of the tribulation period as if it were going to really be divided by halftime, Um, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have made that comment, I suppose. This speaks of the second half of the tribulation period when God's holy people and all kindreds and nations and tongues being converted by or in the trial by fire. Yes, there will be a church at that time. Okay, he's at least admitting that but it will be a satanically inspired one under the control of the great harlot of Babylon. Well, he's getting all that out of Revelation thirteen seven. It was given unto him to make war with the saints. Well, if he's making war with the saints, there's two different people fighting. It's people who hate the saints and therefore are trying to kill them, and the saints themselves. But it was given to him to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Whoa. This is a world-ruling government of some sort. In my opinion, I'm not sure where he gets this satanically inspired church under the control of the great harlot of Babylon. That's That doesn't add up there to me. He says, there are many other proof scriptures that point to the church being caught up before the testing and trials of the unsealed. How much greater is the promise of escaping the horror of the tribulation and the awful day of God's wrath? Wait a minute, what is that? How much greater is the promise of escaping the horror of the tribulation and the awful day of God's wrath. Well, we were not appointed to wrath, period. So we don't have to worry about that. He will keep us away from wrath. He knows who's his. Jesus knows his own. He goes on. Um, Let's see. How much more in line with God's word is the expectation of the wedding supper with Christ and then returning with him as he delivers vengeance on those who made war against his people and nation. Yes, well, God will make war with those that destroy the earth. He says, I believe that any other interpretation is foreign to the promises of God, uh, of the God I know. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. You know, no one ever believed in this pre-trib rapture idea until the late 1700s. That's the first time anybody ever wrote anything about it anyway. So it's a late comer. This isn't uh, something that's um, been going on since Jesus was around on the earth. No. Now, let's get to some good news for a change. This, this is a mess. What, it, what this man sent me is a mess, in my opinion. It's a real mess. And it doesn't add up to all the Old Testament prophecies. So if you're going to look at prophecy, let's look at the whole thing and make sure that everything we say, it says, is true and verifiable in the Old Testament. It's not all in the New Testament. Instead, the majority of it is in the Old Testament. And let's get a grip on it. Isaiah 11. This is a whole chapter that I just dearly love. And it's beautiful. Here we go. Out of the stump of David's roots will grow a shoot. That's Jesus. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the obeying in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by the appearance or make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. Verse 6, chapter 11, Isaiah. In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together that's odd that's different that's not happening today that's for sure the lord or <laughs> the lord i'm sorry the leopard will lie down with the baby goat that's odd that's that's not happening today it can't happen they're two very distinct enemies the calf and the yearling will be safe with a lion wow and a little kid, a little child, will lead them all. Wow. The cow will graze near the bear, and the cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. <laughs> wow. I got to see that. That's going to be good because the lion will have to have a new set of teeth and also a digestive system that can handle um, vegetation. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. That's not happening today. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. I wonder if there'll be guns in those days. I'll bet not. Good. Let's get rid of them. If there were none on the earth, what would happen? Well, we have to have a change of nature before that will be viable. Change of nature in people and animals. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Wow. In that day there are the heir to David's throne, that would be Jesus will be a a banner of salvation to all the world. That's why we call him the Savior of the world. He's coming to rescue the world, to save it, to keep it alive, even though we wreck it. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. The land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day the Lord will reach out his hand the second time to bring back the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria and Northern Egypt, in southern Egypt, in Ethiopia, Elam, Babylonia, Hamath, and all the coast or distant coastlands. He will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the I'm I'm sorry. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Then at last, the jealousy, or the envy, I should say, between Israel and Judah will end. They will not be rivals anymore. They will join forces to swoop down on Philistia. Now that's, if I'm... Understanding my history right, that's Philistia, is Gaza to the west. Together, they will attack and plunder the nations to the east. That would be, oh, I don't know, Iran, Iraq, you know, parts of Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, etc. They will occupy the lands of Edom and Moab and Ammon. They will obey them. Verse 15, the Lord will make a dry path through the Gulf of the Red Sea, and he will wave his hand over the Euphrates River, sending a mighty wind to divide it into seven streams so it can easily be crossed on foot. Wow. He will make a highway for the remnant of his people, the remnant coming from Syria or Assyria, just as he did for the for Israel, long ago, when they returned from Egypt, this all sounds like a resurrection, if you will, of Israel, the, the original territory defined by God in Genesis. And um, it sounds like the ones that he is fighting against is the people who destroy the Earth. And we all know who that is. There's nobody more destructive on the earth than Islam. And so God is not happy with them, and he's going to destroy all the armies of the earth. Just read Isaiah 34 and and lots of associated scriptures. For example, in Isaiah 34, starting in verse 1 and 2, Listen to this. Come near you nations and hear. And listen, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations. That's your nation and mine. And his fury is upon all their armies he has utterly destroyed them and has utterly delivered them to the slaughter so we can easily see from this that it's not just a little local event this is a world war and when god when jesus as god returns the blood that will stain his robe will not be his own this time it'll be theirs he will destroy his enemies And the earth will be at rest. And that means, along with their armies, all their implements of war. Wow. In verse 10, he says this of chapter 35, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads, They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Gone for good. Wow. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. I suggest that you look into this idea of a pre-trib rapture. But I want to be done talking about it. I'm not going to persuade anybody That's up to them and God. It's between you and God. It's between me and God, what we believe about the rapture. But I suggest that you add up the scriptures like a giant arithmetic problem before you come to your conclusion. Read them all. Read it and study it carefully and believe what you see there, for that is the source of truth. Till next time, you can go to my website. I have nothing to sell. I don't want your email. I'm not trying to contact you or anything except to build your faith for free. All my books are there. I'm considering writing another short one on this rapture idea, but you can go there. It's itellwhy.com. That's with the letter I and then the word tell, T E L L, and W H Y dot com. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great day.